hat. The psalmist in Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. I want to start off in blessing the Lord by thanking him for the opportunity to preach before you, but also thanking God for, um, for you all, for being here to listen, but also thanking God for our pastor, Pastor Eric, uh, for the ways that he's, leaded our, he's led our church uh, in this past year. It's still early in January, so I feel like I can take advantage of this, but we have been living in unprecedented times in 2020, and well into 2021 as well, uh, we're still uh, carrying a lot of those burdens, and so we want to say thank you. I know the pastorate, it's, it's not a job where you often get appreciation and thanks, but we want to say thank you for your leadership, thank you for your devotion, and your faithfulness to God, your faithfulness to your family, and to the church. Good morning. morning. Again, I'm thankful for the opportunity to stand before you uh, today and to preach God's word. Um, A lot of you are here tuning in online or here in person, and you've carried a lot of the things over from 2020 into 2021. It seems like it's kind of like rolled over, like rollover minutes. I don't know if some of y'all are old enough to to know what rollover minutes are, but... um, We carry a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, a lot of worries from 2020, Um, and we are waiting for for peace to settle. I mean, we're still dealing with a pandemic. We're still dealing with with COVID-19, and so you're here this morning looking for a word of comfort, looking for a word of peace, Um, and in light of what happened earlier this week, I also wouldn't be the pastor or the preacher that God has called me to be if I did not acknowledge what has taken place on Tuesday. And some of you are tuning in online or here in person. You have those questions of what does the Bible have to say about those events? What does the church have to say? How does the church stand in light of those events? And I do feel burdened to say that what has taken place on Tuesday is not an act of God. It is out of fear It is an act that is rooted out of a white supremacist ideology that is not condoned by the Bible, but is actually condemned by him. And if we, and as the church, if we remain silent, we are complicit, and we have done that in the past. And so we need to lament of it, we need to repent of it, but we also need to enact what God has called us to do. And this morning, this passage actually does speak in light of those events. This passage this morning also speaks into our current circumstance. If you're heavy-hearted, and if you have burdens on your heart where you're at the right address, you're at the right link, because this morning our text is tailored to teach us that strength today, that waiting today gives us strength for tomorrow. I want to borrow this title from the modern-day theologian uh, Kendrick Lamar. It's up here. It says, we're going to be all right. So if you can, would you stand on your feet this morning? Let me read from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 to 31. Our brother Kerry, he, he read it for us so well um, that I want to do it. I want to read it one more time until you're hearing. It says, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27 to 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, 
the creator of the earth, ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Would you uh, pause with me for a brief word of prayer? Lord, we are here and we submit to you today. We ask that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And that the name of Jesus be lifted high. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you may be seated. We live in an age and an era where most things are accessible at our fingertips, and we're able to receive most things in an instant. See, we're stimulated by how quickly our desires can become a reality, that our brains are conditioned to expect things to happen at a moment's notice. See, this is what psychologists and many experts might refer to as instant gratification. We are submerged in an environment where instant gratification has influence over every aspect of our lives, from food to entertainment, health, dating, and quite frankly, even the way that we do church. One medical doctor writes on the adaptability of our brains and shows how negative patterns of instant gratification can actually condition our habits and without realizing it, carry negative consequences from financial burdens to unhealthy eating patterns. One other professor writes that we want things now rather than later, and that our instinct is to seize the immediate reward at hand. What's interesting is that this phenomenon has also been quantified. It's been put into numbers. A computer science professor in his research on internet users has actually concluded that the time spent his subjects were willing to wait for a video to load is two seconds. And yet another professor says that while the need for instant gratification is not new, our expectation of instant has become faster, and as a result, our patience thinner. See, church family, we serve a God who is able to move and work in miraculous ways and in powerful ways, and at times he's able to do the impossible at the blink of an eye. And yet sometimes his preferred method is actually a slow and maybe even a delayed response. See, the concept of waiting is not foreign to the scriptures. In fact, when we look into the life of those who we consider to be heroes of the faith, that they too have undergone seasons and moments of waiting. Consider with me Abraham and Sarah who were promised that they would become a great nation, but that promise would not become a reality because they had no children. They were well into their 90s until they saw that promise fulfilled. The people of God, after being delivered out of slavery from the hand of the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years waiting to enter into that promised land. David, who was anointed to be the next king of Israel by the prophet Samuel, had yet found himself on the run, escaping the hands of none other than his predecessor, his father-in-law, King Saul, who sought to kill him because insecurity overcame him and he felt threatened by the newly selected leader in power to be. And what else can we say about the nation of Israel that after establishing a covenant relationship with the Lord God, 
that they would go on to pursue other gods and idols and perpetuate injustice that would break the very heart of God and be taken away as captives into exile, not to see their homeland for decades. And we read here that they were waiting. But what about you? You might be here today or you're tuning in online and you're situated in the season of waiting. Seasons of waiting that can be caused by setbacks, a delay on dreams, hold up on hopes, pauses on promises. Let me, for a moment, pull up into your neighborhood, onto your block, and see if I can make this a little bit more personal for you. There's an outcry of waiting in our hearts that desire for change to come, for a shift to take place. And we desire more. We desire better. And it's not to say that those desires are wrong or bad in and of itself, but we find ourselves in this stagnant, standstill season of waiting Some of you have been really waiting for a long time, waiting to hear back about a diagnosis for your health. You've been diagnosed for a while or you've been longing to be delivered. You've been longing to be set free. You've been longing to be healed. You're in a season of waiting. In this past, not just this past year alone, but many of you have been dealing with the dark gloom of depression. Some of you have been agonized by angst and anxiety. Some of you have experienced the loss of a loved one in your life. And because, since that person has then passed, you're left with memories and you're looking for comfort. You're looking for healing. You're looking for peace. You find yourself waiting some of you have been unemployed for a while, and your, your money is starting to look tight. You're worried about how to pay rent. Bills are due. Debt is collecting, and you're waiting for that consistent, stable source of income. You're waiting. For those of you who have jobs, you've been honest in your work. You're not cutting corners. You're not lying like your coworkers. You're being faithful and true, but you're not the one getting the the promotion that you've been longing for. It's the ones who are cheating, the ones who are being dishonest who are getting the promotion. And in fact, you're the one who's getting treated worse than everybody else. You find yourself waiting. You've been faithfully following God, being diligent in serving Him, and committed to pursuing God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and yet you still find yourself, when you go home, arguing with your husband, arguing with your wife, your family is falling apart, your marriage is on the rocks, or if you're single, you've been faithfully serving the Lord diligently praying and waiting for God to provide somebody to be in a relationship with you. But when you look around, people are sleeping with one another. People are acting a fool. And they're the ones who are being in relationships. They're the ones who are getting married. And you're still finding yourself single. You are waiting. You have a mother, a father, a sister, a brother, a son, a daughter, somebody in your family who's been rebellious and wayward, or they're not even wanting anything to do with God. Day and night, you've been praying for them to come to know the Lord for themselves and for a breakthrough to take place in their lives, but there's still no sign of movement. You're waiting for that day to come. And, so, and even for our youth and for our children, you're waiting. You're, you're tired of e-learning at home. You want to see your friends. You want to see your family. You want to go on vacation with everybody else. You're tired of waiting. You see, even beyond this individual level, there's an outcry of waiting that's heard from the world and community that's around us. Because natural disasters continue to unfold. Death and disease and destruction pervades the world. 
violence and warfare still runs rampant in the nation. Creation itself is waiting for the coming of Jesus Christ, longing for the revealing of the children of God, groaning for their deliverance. There is an outcry of waiting from the innocent bloodshed of aborted babies, but also the structures and systems that shape communities that enable the practice of abortion. There is an outcry of waiting from the women and children who are trafficked in the sex industry. There is an outcry of waiting from mothers, fathers, sisters, and brothers at our southern border who have been torn apart from one another, placed into unsafe and unsanitary conditions, waiting to be reunited with each other once again. There is an outcry of waiting from the innocent lies taken by police brutality, an outcry of waiting from the injustice that shape and maintain the systems and structures we live in that dehumanize and devalue the lives of the black and brown community that exploits the marginalized, that exploits the poor for financial gain, an outcry of waiting for leaders and decision makers who will be concerned with the health safety and well-being of our teachers and students in the public school system, an outcry of waiting for, for leaders who will uphold the standard of justice, who will hold leaders and perpetrators accountable for the wrongs that they've done. But can I also say this, that the world around us is waiting. The people that surround us, the community that we live in is waiting on the church. Society is waiting on the church. And dare I say, the church is waiting on the church. Waiting for a people who will not set up camp and submit to a political party over another and establish them as God's political party. Waiting for a people who will not bow their knee to an ideology that perpetuates nationalism, but still boldly stands and sets themselves apart for the kingdom of heaven. People committed to exercising the decrees and the laws of God, which are compassion, mercy, justice, righteousness, and truth. People who are devoted to seeking and saving the lost while simultaneously tending to the marginalized, the vulnerable, the disenfranchised, and the least of these. The world longs and waits for the rule and reign of Jesus Christ that exercises and executes peace and does not encourage or incite violence or terrorism. Can you hear the cry of waiting that's coming out from the earth and from its inhabitants saying, How long, O Lord? How long? When you come, Lord Jesus, come. Because oftentimes, waiting stirs in us a variety of emotion and affects us physically and spiritually. There is an eagerness, an anticipation, and a longing for change to come and for action to take place. But let's be honest that in the heat of the moment, we find ourselves hard to wait. It's not an easy task of waiting. And sometimes prolonged seasons of waiting actually leaves us in a state of confusion and doubt. I mean, hear the words of the opening verse in verse 27 that Isaiah says before us. It says, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. And perhaps you find yourself this morning with those very words that are flowing from your lips and pouring out from your heart. The statement Isaiah opens with is not to function as a complaint against a seemingly absent God, but serves to set up the rest of our passage this morning. So he asks, when he, when he asks this question, he says, Why do you say, O Jacob, 
Why do you speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Let me try to say it this way. Why do you say, Brook family, my way is hidden from the Lord? And why do you say, Brook church, my right is disregarded by my God? He doesn't want to belittle or minimize what people are experiencing, the difficulties of their daily reality, but he's actually acknowledging the problem that plagues their hearts and minds. And to reorient their perspective, to recognize that there's actually more activity taking place in our waiting than we realize. Because this text is tailored to teach us that waiting today provides strength for tomorrow. Waiting today provides strength for tomorrow. And some of you are here today with a variety of needs, a variety of burdens on your hearts. And God sees that. He acknowledges it. And he says he has a plan and a purpose so that you can be strengthened. And he wants to meet you where you are at today. Because in our passage, you can clap, it's cool. In our passage today, Isaiah presents to us two reminders that help gives us strength for today so that we can face whatever life throws at us tomorrow. See, this first reminder is seen in verses 28 through 29. It reminds us that God is with us in the waiting. God is with us in the waiting. And I know you've heard that a lot. I know you've heard it a lot. And that might not do anything for your soul this morning. But Isaiah is not giving just a word to console our hearts. It's not merely that, but his desire is what we often need, which is to get us to remember which God is with us in our waiting. See, Isaiah asks rhetorically again, have you not known? Have you not heard? In verse 28. Of course, the nation of Israel knows. Of course, the nation of Israel has heard. They've heard in their history, and they know for themselves through personal experience that God is at work in their lives. But just like many of us, and and because of our human nature, every so often we need that push notification. We need that gentle nudge that helps us see things in the right perspective because it's in our human nature to forget We need to be reminded about the truths of God, and we need to be reminded of it often, which is why the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 verse 1 says, to write the same things to you is is no trouble to me and is safe for you. See, sisters and brothers, we have many pastors and preachers who are committed to the proclamation and the teaching of the Word of God, who are unashamed and unafraid to speak truth to power and to call things for how they are. And we thank God that we have some of those pastors, we have some of those teachers in our congregation and in our church. And sadly enough, there are also preachers who preach more of themselves and their own agenda. They desire to speak on everything and everyone but God. They preach to stay relevant, and they do not preach out of reverence for the Word of God. See, I, I, heard, I heard the story told like this one time, that there was a pastor who was who was giving the lesson at Children's Church one Sunday morning. And in the story, he, he said this. He said, I'm going to describe something to you, and when you can figure it out, I want you to raise your hand and tell me what it is. And so he began on saying, this thing I'm thinking about lives in a tree. It collects nuts, has big, beady eyes, has a long, bushy tail, and it chatters when it speaks. As he went on to describe this thing that he's thinking about, he's starting to get concerned and nervous. When one young boy raised his hand and said, Pastor, I know exactly what you're talking about. You're talking about Jesus. 
following the service, this disappointed pastor had met with his parents to address what had happened. And on the way home, this, his father had asked him, why did you act out like this? To which the boy replied, that I knew he was talking about a squirrel when he really should have been talking about Jesus. <laughs> See, church family, we need to be cautious and take heed of what we hear and fill ourselves with, particularly in the midst of our crises. More than hearing a message on how we can better our circumstance or better our position, we need to be reminded that when we don't have a hold on life and when we don't have a hold on God, we know and serve a God who holds on to us and holds our life in his hands. So when your marriage is on the rocks or your family is falling apart, you need to be reminded that God is holding your world together. When your finances aren't lining up and you don't know how to pay for the bills, you need to be reminded that God is holding your life together. And when you are emotionally spent, when you are burdened and plagued with depression and anxiety, you need to remember that God is holding on to your life. God, when trials come your way, and the ground begins to shake, God will set your feet on solid ground so that you don't sink, but you're able to stand firm and you're able to stand tall. See, here it's in, in, in verses 28 to 29 where Isaiah takes the liberty to remind us which God is with us in the waiting. Look with me very briefly at this superior, at this very significantly brief but yet superior resume of God in these two verses. It says, the Lord is the everlasting God. Now, I could have stopped at the Lord, and that would have been good enough for me to take my seat and call it a sermon. (laughs) Because anytime you read the Lord, and it has all capital letters, it's referring to the proper name of God. Yahweh, the great I am, the holy one, the righteous one, the just one, the one who can make possible the impossible. It says, the Lord is the everlasting God, is he who has no beginning, and all things find their beginning in him. He who has no end himself, and is able to bring to an end all people, all principalities, and all powers. Time cannot age him, and age cannot time him. He is a timeless God. And unlike us who are mortal beings and have a date in our lives where we will cease to end, God will continue to be, because he is the Alpha And he is the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the one who was and is and is to come. And the one who will rule throughout all eternity. Whose kingdom is established forever and ever. It doesn't stop there though. It gets better. The creator of the ends of the earth. The psalmist says, The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. And the sky proclaims his handiwork. That the earth is his and the fullness thereof. And the world and they that dwell therein. See, one of the things that Isaiah draws to our attention in this chapter is the incomparability of God, that he is no one to be compared to because he is great and glorious. In the verses previous to what we're looking at today, Isaiah describes how the gods and the idols of the surrounding nations are created by hand, created by materials that could be found on this earth, materials that God has created taken by human beings whom God has created and formed, to create, formed together to create a God that say they created them. See, everything that you touch, God has created. Everything that you smell, God has created. Everything you 
hear, God has created. Everything that you can taste, God has created. From the Grand Canyon all the way to the little bacteria that turns cheese into yogurt and milk. All of those things God has created by the word of his power. But again, it doesn't stop there. It says here that he does not faint or grow weary. To compare again to the neighboring nations that were created by human hands, human property. They are portrayed to have human-like characteristics. They are weak and dependent and reliant on human activity to sustain them. But it's also said of them that they are inattentive, that they are unaware of human events and human happenings because they're consumed and distracted by other things. So for me, this begs this question, how can a God and an idol that is created by human hands and the human imagination and relies on human activity to exist and sustain itself have any sort of power to help humanity in great moments of need? To me, if God needs, if a God needs assistance to exist, if a God needs assistance to help sustain itself, if a God needs assistance and aid to feel significant, then they're no God at all. Because at the end of the day, I need a God who will hold me up and not a God who needs me to hold him up. Because God is self-sufficient. He is not made by human hands, but is the one who created humans and has imparted in them the inspiration to create from their hands. God is self-sustaining and sustains those who are in need of sustenance. God does not need to be dependent on the ones he created to exist because he always has been and will continue to be. But again, it gets better. It says his understanding is unsearchable. See, God knows all things. God knows the good plans and purposes for your life. He, it's, it's important to know and it's significant to realize that the God of the universe, the God who's created all things, the everlasting one, cares enough to be concerned with your good, with my good, with your family's good, with our church's good, but all beyond that, our community's good, for our city's good, for our nation's good, and for the world's good. And many times when we think about this word, our good and our well-being, it's associated sometimes with permitting and allowing things to happen towards our flourishing. And that's what we pray for, right? We, we pray for breakthrough to take place. We pray for movement to happen. But can I submit to you this morning that sometimes while God permits things to happen, he also prevents some things from taking place. Because he realizes that by preventing those things, he protects you from hurt. He protects you from harm. So I know some of you have been praying for, for breakthrough, and, and you've been waiting for that promotion. You've been waiting to move on, but sometimes he doesn't allow that to protect you because he has a better plan and purpose for you. You've looked back and you've wondered, God, why didn't you let this relationship happen in my life? Well, that's to, to protect you from the harm that could have come out of that relationship. The reason why you're here today is that God has provided certainly for many things, but he's also prevented some things from happening in your life. And that's why you can stand here today, you can lift your hands, and you can lift your voice and say, thank God, thank you, Lord, for bringing me thus far. And to close off the resume, he says, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. I like the way that I read it in uh, Walter Brueggemann's commentary, it says, Yahweh's work as creator is not a one-time deal, but it is a continuing work. 
that entails his endless, energetic attentiveness to creation. Yahweh is not worn out, nor is he exhausted. He, the creator God, is directly attentive to the faint and powerless. The creator God sustains and gives life to creatures who have no intrinsic power of life for their own. Means he does not grow weary, he does not grow faint, but he provides strength. He provides might, he provides power when we are looking for power. He provides strength when we are looking for strength. And certainly he gives that to people when you are feeling weak and weary and faint. But can I take this a step further and suggest that he also gives power to the powerless. He, to the powerless, he gives strength. To the brokenhearted, he gives comfort. To the marginalized, he draws near. To the disenfranchised, he gives them the right. To the oppressed, he lifts them up. To the persecuted, he gives courage. To the voiceless, he gives them a voice. Because the pattern of the kingdom of God is that the last shall be first. And the first shall be last. The greatest shall be the least and the least shall be last. Which is how Jesus Jesus teaches it like this in Luke chapter 6. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. And so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. God gives strength and uplifts in time of need. But the working of God is also one that empowers and enables and brings near those who are oppressed, who are downtrodden, abandoned, who are bruised, and broken. These verses that have been laid out serve to recall our minds to the personhood and the power of God. And we ought to realize that God, who is mighty and powerful, eternal and glorious, righteous and holy, desires to draw close and be near to us, especially in our times of waiting, especially in the low moments of our lives, because He cares for you. He cares for you in your season of waiting. And if you need any evidence of this, you don't have to look any further than to Jesus Christ, who was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten son from the father, full of grace and truth. He who left heaven's heights and realms of glory came humbly to this lowly earth and was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. While verses 28 through 29 remind us that God is with us in the waiting, verses 30 to 31 reminds us that things are happening in the waiting. Things are happening in the waiting. Just because something is not taking place doesn't necessarily mean that something isn't happening. That while you feel like you're at a standstill in your life, things are still moving. While you feel like you are stagnant, things are working out. While you might feel like you aren't moving forward or upward, that things are in motion. I like the way I heard it from Kokisha Bailey Robinson, the daughter of the late preacher, 
Dr. E.K. Bailey, who says, just because you've been delayed doesn't mean you've been denied. God is still active. God is still moving. God is still working. God has not denied you, nor has he turned you away. So your sin has not denied you. Your mistakes have not denied you. Your history has not denied you. Your past has not denied you. God still has a plan and purpose for your life and to work all things out for your good and for his glory. So while waiting is a part of the daily reality of our Christian walk, waiting does much more actually for our spiritual development than we realize. Sometimes things happen in in the moments of our waiting, and those things include tests and trials. You're going to encounter some storms and some struggles while you wait. You're going to experience moments of weakness while you wait. The way that Isaiah says it in verse 30, it says that even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. It's part of the human experience. Suffering is part of the human reality. The greatest soldiers burn out. The greatest athletes get weak. Even kids get tired. You see them running around all day thinking that they have so much energy to burn, but once they are done, what happens? They get hungry and they pass out. No matter how young or how old you are, life will bring you to the brink of exhaustion. And I like how we teach these things here at the brook. It's not a matter of if tests or trials will come, but when tests and trials come. And when those moments of exhaustion come, you got to have the right perspective. You got to have the right theology, the right biblical understanding of suffering, of trials, of hardships. Any teaching that tells you that your life can be exempt of that or devoid of that is a deficient theology and deprives you of the glorious truth about the enduring word of God. And that's what I call a microwave theology. You know what I'm talking about. You can throw something together and sprinkle a little bit of salt and pepper on it and pop it in the microwave for a couple minutes and it'll be warm enough for you to eat and enjoy in the moment. But when you leave it out and the food gets cold, and it loses its appeal, and it loses its flavor, it isn't as enjoyable as when you first heated it up. That's how our faith can be. That some of these popular teachings that circulate through social media are just that, microwave theology. They talk about how to better your circumstance, how you can move on up in your situation, how you can increase your life, and all they do is sprinkle a little little bit of Bible on it to help you gratify that flavor and gratify that taste. But then when reality hits and all of a sudden you're bitter towards God and your faith is being challenged and what you thought tasted good now has lost its flavor and substance. See, I don't want a microwave theology for when life gets hard. I don't want a microwave theology when life gets mundane. I don't want a microwave theology when I turn cold to the realities of life. I want a slow cooker theology. You know how slow cookers work. You got to put all the ingredients in that slow cooker. You got to let it sit and marinate. And you have to let it sit and marinate. You got to let the juices react with that adobo seasoning, you know, and let it, let it get in and penetrate into the food. And you notice the difference. The texture of the food is different. The flavor is more rich. And the food, even when it gets cold, it retains 
all that it has absorbed, all of its flavor, all of its richness, its slow cooker theology that will sustain you through life's trials and hardships. Because when you sit and marinate and take your time in the word of God, you come to realize that it's not always about getting out of your situation, but it's about getting through it with the God who's going to get you through it. It's slow cooker theology that teaches you that God is our refuge and strength, uh, ever-present help in time of trouble. It's slow cooker theology that teaches you the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? It is slow cooker theology that teaches you that some trust in chariots and others in horses, but we trust in the name of our God. It's slow cooker theology that teaches us that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and his mercies never come to an end, but that they are new every morning. It's slow cooker theology that teaches his anger is but for a moment and his favor for a lifetime, that weeping may tarry in the night, but joy comes in the morning. When the rest of the world is growing cold and dim, you still have that fire inside of you. You're marinated in the word of God. You've got an unshakable hope inside of you because of that slow cooker theology. And the thing about storms and trials and tests is that they don't always remain. Storms pass over. Trials come, but they also go. Testing and troubles, they don't last always. They're not meant to be permanent. And the thing about it is that God allows storms to pass our way because they serve a greater purpose. In, in January 2019, a dear brother of mine invited me to go ice fishing with him up into, in, in North Wisconsin. So we drove up there, and it was cold. I got together with him and his, his brothers. And the, day that we, the morning we went ice fishing, we gathered to the edge of the lake, and we all got out of our cars, and we were just standing around kind of waiting. And then we all got back in our cars, and I was wondering, okay, what's going on? And so sure enough, we're getting into the car because we're about to go drive out onto the lake. I know you're looking at me weird because I had that same look of concern and confusion, like what, you're going to drive out on the lake? So we get onto the ice, and next thing you know, we're in the middle of the lake, and we're, we're, we're starting to drill holes so that we can fish. And during that time, you can hear these low-pitched pop noises that's coming from the ice. And... My friend George says, Josh, you know what that is? I said, no, what is it? He says, that's the ice cracking. I'm like, what do you mean the ice is cracking? We're in the middle of this lake. We've got like four cars that weigh like tons, and you're telling me that the ice is breaking. He says, yeah, the ice is breaking because of the current moving and because of the wind. But he told me this. He said, the reason why the ice cracks is so that it can also refreeze, and when it refreezes, it becomes stronger, and it holds itself up. You see, sometimes stores and trials and tests come our way and they break us. They bring us to this point of defeat. And you might wonder and ask why God does these things and why God works the way that he does. But some, and sometimes we don't understand. But I'll admit to you, I don't know the full answer to that question. But what I want to submit to you today is that tests and trials might tear us down. They might wear us down and they might break us apart. But it's not for us to remain defeated. But it's designed for us to fix our eyes on God who gives us strength so that we might learn to have our strength in not our own, but in God. It's supposed to strengthen our faith and our confidence in the God that we serve. You see, but I thought that the, I thought that the illustration would stop there. 
This is what we're talking about, milking the, milking the illustration. See, this entire time when he mentions that we're going out on the ice and we're driving out on the ice, I'm over here shaking in my boots. I'm nervous. My eyes are scanning around like, is this safe? Are we going to be okay? My friend George is sitting in my car. I bet you know, you know the car I used to drive. It's a, pretty, it's a big car. It's a heavy car. And he's cool. He's, he's cool as ice, just hanging out there. And seeing him in a state of calmness put me in a state of calmness. Because he knew that the ice was thick enough to hold us up, even though I didn't know that the ice was thick enough to hold us up. You see, God never leaves you alone in your trials and situations. He is with you. He knows what's going to happen in your life. And we can take comfort in the fact to know that God is with us. Our might is not to be found in our own, but in the Lord. Our power is not to be found in our own, but in the Lord. It teaches us to be dependent on God, but also to find our strength in Him, which is why we're able to sing in this hymn, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. That means your job is sinking sand. Your husband is sinking sand. Your wife is sinking sand. Your family is sinking sand. This church is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And that's what verse 31 points to. You see, this Hebrew conjunction, it's one letter in the original language, but it carries so much power in the butt. And I know some of you like that butt word. And listen closely to what Isaiah says in verse 31. It says, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Don't don't overlook this too quickly because you might miss it. But it says, but they who wait on the Lord. We talked a lot about waiting today. You see, waiting is not just a noun, a prolonged period of time where we wait. But waiting is also a verb. The verb of waiting is to remain or delay in action until a particular time or until something happens. The verb of waiting is to remain in readiness for some purpose. You'll get that on the way home. And for us as Christ followers, we're waiting, waiting for something is a participation in it. We're supposed to actively participate in waiting. We're supposed to be patient. But I like the way that Gary Smith says it in his commentary. He says, waiting on the Lord is hope. He says, this hope is an active dependence on God that patiently awaits his timing with confident expectation. Placing hope implies that a spiritual bond exists that allows people to admit their own helplessness and to commit their welfare completely into the hands of his strong power. Trust is never easy, but it is the key to unlocking God's power. Trust enables people to walk the path that God has chosen for their lives, pleasant or unpleasant, without growing weary or wanting to quit. Church family, many times we can't wait on the Lord because we've lost hope. We lose hope that things will not become a reality. We lose hope that things have become a lost cause. We lose hope because we're not seeing the results or progress that we want to see. Perhaps we lose hope. Because we've lost hope in the one we're supposed to put our hope in. Because we lose hope in the one we're supposed to put our hope in, we can't wait. We grow impatient. And then we begin to take things and matters into our own hands, do things the way we want to do it, no matter how good the intentions are. 
Because the right thing, then the wrong way, can leave a mess. Pastor Eric said that last week, so I'm not taking credit for that. Many of us have gone through, the life, through life making mistake after mistake, but that doesn't have to define your life anymore. You don't have to be shaped by your past. You don't have to be shaped by your history. You can determine today the trajectory of your life. When you wait on the Lord, you can renew your strength. But what kind of renewal of strength are we talking about here? What's a renewal of strength to do? It's a renewal of strength to believe. It's a renewal of strength to get up each morning. It's a renewal of strength to worship God. It's a renewal of strength to trust in Him. It's a renewal of strength to trust that God will come through even though you and other people won't come through. Because our waiting on God builds our confidence in God. It's in those seasons of waiting that we really have to lean in on who you know. Because God is the everlasting God. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. And I always love going back to the sermon series that we did. That he is Adonai. He is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He is El Roi, the God who sees. He is Jehovah Rapha, my healer. He is Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. He is Jehovah Sikenu, our righteousness. And these are the titles attributed to him. He is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. He is our good shepherd. He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And he is our great savior. I'll close with this one word. You got to lean in on who you know, but also on what he will do. Notice the difference, the different things that Isaiah gets at towards the end of this passage. It says, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. It's like he's going in reverse order, but what he's trying to talk about is that sometimes God will strengthen you to soar high like the eagles do, but sometimes God will strengthen you enough so that you can walk today and not be faint. Whatever way he strengthens you, he's going to do it, and he's going to do it, so you know that he's doing it. It says, it shall be done. The verse is close saying that they shall, as if it's a guarantee that what God has promised, he will fulfill. He's not a man like us that he should lie, but he promises, every, he fulfills every promises that he makes. Because it's not in his nature to fall short. It's not in his nature to lie. It's not in his nature to change his mind. But it's in his nature to see all things through. The Philippians says that he who began a good work in you shall see it to completion in the day of Christ. You know how I know? Let me call the roll. Let me ask Abraham and Sarah who were 98 and 99, barren with no children. All of a sudden they have Isaac. Let me call Moses and the nation of Israel who were in slavery, who were oppressed by the hand of Pharaoh. And God, using a miraculous ways, has delivered them out from slavery into the promised land. Joshua, with the army of, of Israel, marched around the mighty city of Jericho. And after seven days, with a loud shout, the walls came tumbling down and he entered into the promised land. David was established with this covenant. And we're left wondering, what happened with this covenant? I've been waiting, I've been holding off this entire sermon just to talk about the context of this chapter. You see, it seems as if there's an abrupt shift from chapters 39 through 40 
almost like a divine inspiration. And I know we have some Bible scholars, but let me uh, exegete the passage like this. You see, Isaiah can be divided just like the Bible can be divided as the Old and the New Testament. The first 39 chapters is one book and 40 through 66 another. And there's a shift in tone. There's a shift in tone there. In 39, what happens is Isaiah, in this season of Israel thriving and flourishing, he prophesies that they're about to go into exile. And then it shifts in verse chapter 40, verse 1, it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. It says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, cry to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. It's as if the, the, the prophet Isaiah is prophesying from the future perspective of the exiles who have been ex- who've experienced loss, who have experienced uh, brokenness, who have experienced destruction. And you ask this question, how can we speak comfort Comfort. This is where the news gets good because just like in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 6 ends and there's 400 years of silence and people are left waiting to hear from the voice of God. People are wondering if God is still present and God is still active. But when you read Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The beginning of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the son of God. God never leaves his work unfinished but he leaves it fulfilled god ultimately through jesus christ will fulfill his promise of david and establishing his kingdom god who came in the form of a servant through jesus christ lived in this world and he encountered people who were waiting people who were waiting for deliverance, people who were waiting for healing, people who were waiting for wholeness. He met the woman at the well in Samaria who was looking to fulfill her unsatisfaction with other relationships and said, I can give you the living water. He met on the way to to healing uh, Jairus' daughter, he met a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, waiting for deliverance of her sickness, and at the touch of the hem of his garment, she was delivered. She was waiting for the Savior who would come and heal. There were many blind people, many beggars, many lame who couldn't walk, people who were waiting by the poolside, waiting for a supernatural healing. But when Jesus came, their waiting was, was no more, and they encountered the living God. And can I say this, that the world at this time is still waiting for a reckoning of sin we still need to be justified before God the sacrificial system that he has established through the old testament covenant was not good enough you couldn't shed enough bloodshed of lambs goats cows to atone for your sin and finally on that day on calvary God through Jesus Christ purchased our sins and I'm glad I'm really glad that Jesus stayed on that cross because the mockers, the scoffers, they were telling, if you really are the son of God, come down from there and show us that you are God. And I'm glad that he didn't stay there because he stayed there until he died. He stayed there until death died. He stayed there until sin was finished. But he didn't just stay there. He waited on the cross and he waited in the tomb. He could have gotten up on the first day. He could have gone up on the second day. And it's actually, it's actually uh, historical teaching that people didn't think that you were dead until three days later because some people have instances of actually getting up and not actually being dead. But Jesus waited in the grave. And on that third day, I'm so glad that he waited because he got up with all power. 
He got up with all strength. He got up with all might in his hands so that you and I can have that power, so that you and I can have that strength, so that you and I can have that might, so that when we are in our seasons of waiting, we have a hope that we can cling on to. I really wanted to close there, but I, I can't help but think about, in this, in this time of preparing for my sermon, I kept thinking about my grandmother, my grandfather, my grandmother on my, my, my dad's side. They've been through a lot. They've been through the Korean War. They've been through Japanese colonialism. They've immigrated to a nation that they're not familiar with, having to learn a language that they do not know. And I haven't had the opportunity to sit down and ask them, how have you held onto your faith so long? What is keeping you grounded? What is keeping you rooted? I haven't been able to ask that, but I do remember this. I remember hearing in those summer days when I still lived in San Diego, when the windows were open, and I can hear the faint voice of my grandmother, and I can hear her singing this hymn. It says, Hanul kanun palgun giri, ne ape isuni, sulpun iri mani opko, mani bogo, nul koseng hayodo, Hanul yongwang palguni, odun kunul hechini, yesu kongyo uiji hayo, hangsang bichu bogoda. And I know you're, look, you're probably wondering what is this guy saying. I've wondered that for a long time myself. But then I looked up the words, and after living life a little bit, you begin to understand and appreciate the weightiness of these words. That says, the bright and heavenly way before me lies clearly in my sight. And though sorrows sore beset me and troubles black as night, at the splendor from the skies, every darkling shadow flies while we trust the grace of Jesus and look ever to that light. But just like hymns do, they get better. When I think on all the worries which in my world I see, inner fears and outer trials seem nigh too much for me. But the blood of Christ our Lord puts them wholly to the sword while we trust the grace of Jesus and shall ever victors be. But it gets better. Drawing near to that city, yet seen by faith alone, Longing for the Father's mansions and rest before the throne. All unworthy though I be, there is welcome there for me. For the King is our own Jesus, Lord and Savior of His own. These words remind us and give us strength so that no matter what happens today, we can face the realities of tomorrow. You pray with me, Brooke family. God, we deal every day with the pain of sin. We deal every day with the pain of death. And God, our, our souls cry out and are longing for that day for you to come. But as you've reminded us, Lord, that you do not leave us abandoned, you do not leave us alone, but that you leave us with hope. Hope to know that you are, you are God. Hope to know that you are working all things out but hope to know that we can trust in you, trust in you, Jesus, to work in our waiting. And many of us, Lord, I recognize that we are in a season of waiting, and I pray, Lord, that whatever that might be, would you meet them at this time, Lord God? Would you meet and satisfy their needs in however way that it needs to be met so that you are glorified? And there are many of us who might be tuning in online or even here in this room who have been looking for strength, who have been longing for strength, who have been looking for purpose, who have been looking for the ability to stand, but because of the trials and difficulties of life, we've been consumed 
we're unable to move and yet we feel weak and weary. I pray, Lord God, for those who are far that you will draw them near. God, that they would encounter the strength that only you can offer. They will encounter the power that's only found in you. They will encounter the might that is only found in you. Because salvation is ready for them today. Salvation is here and today can be your day of salvation. Because the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you raise, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. So I pray, Lord God, for those of us who have yet to put our faith and our hope in you. I pray, Lord, that you would come stir in our hearts. Help us to taste and see the strength. In Jesus' name, amen.